Good morning, Family Church. It's great to be worshiping the Lord together corporately. We are so blessed. Today, we're going to do something a little different. We're going to take a little detour from our Gospel of John series this morning and focus on a specific topic that I think will challenge us, but also encourage us to live more closer to the Lord. So as we begin, let's go to Him in prayer. Holy Father, we praise You. As we sing these songs of worship to You, Father, I'm just broken. Recognizing my daily life, I often not worshiping You that way. Help us to be zealous for having the right view of You. To have such a holy and high view of You. Help us to be a people like that. Who really love You and serve You. Not just with our mouths on Sunday mornings, but with our lives every day. We thank You for today. I ask that Your Holy Spirit empower us to hear what Your Word has to say for us this morning. In Christ's name, Amen. If we were a psychiatrist, we might have concluded that the Jews' problem stemmed from having a chemical imbalance. If we were a psychologist, we may have diagnosed that the Jews' issues stem from living in a dysfunctional home. If we were a nutritionist, we might have concluded that the Jews had this struggle because they were lacking certain nutrients, maybe some sort of vitamin deficiencies. If we were charismatic, we might have concluded that the Jews were dealing with generational curses that had been passed on from one generation to the next. You may be wondering what I'm talking about. You're probably thinking, what in the world is he talking about up here? Have I missed something? You may be thinking, this sounds really serious. What was this awful problem that the Jews struggled with? Sounds like we might be talking about some really serious sin problem. Like blasphemy. Or adultery, or murder, or stealing, or some sort of addiction. And those are terrible. But the sin the Jews struggled with goes often unnoticed. The average Christian may not even call this a sin. Try to stay clear of the obvious biggies, right? But this one is different. This one often flies Below the radar. John 6.41 says this. So the Jews grumbled about him. The Jews grumbled about him. The Jews were complaining. They were murmuring. They were grumbling to one another about Christ. The Greek word here for grumble is gungutso. It's sort of a fun word to say, gungutso, which means to murmur or complain, usually with smoldering discontent. We get a picture of someone who is never satisfied. They're never content. They are full of dismay. They're always frustrated inwardly. 
And we see with the Jewish people, they had a history of grumbling. Starting back in the Old Testament as God used Moses to free the Israelites from captivity in Egypt, in Exodus, the first thing they do after they're free is say, you know, Moses, we're thirsty. We're thirsty, Moses. Do we have anything to drink? Now remember, you have to remember this. This was right after God had just parted the Red Sea, took the Egyptian army out, drowned them, and instead of continuing to praise God for what just happened, the miraculous victory, they start complaining and grumbling about being thirsty. What does God do? He graciously, kindly gives them water anyway. And as, we travel, as they begin to travel on in the wilderness, they begin to grumble some more. It's not about being thirsty this time. This time, it's about being hungry. And they go so far and say to Moses, you know, we were in this Egyptian captivity, slavery thing, and I know we murmured and complained about it all the time, but you know what? We weren't hungry. You know, I wish we were back in slavery because at least our bellies were full. Grumbling was the Israelites' Achilles' heel. It was a serious problem that ultimately was one of the main reasons why they didn't make it into the promised land. But grumbling is not just, I have to say, a Jewish problem. Grumbling is a universal human problem. Most of us this morning struggle with grumbling, which leads to point number one. Grumbling is a sin. Point number one says that grumbling is a sin. I would guess, without calling myself a modern-day prophet, that most of us aren't confessing the sin of grumbling on a regular basis. We aren't saying, Lord, forgive me for my sinfulness of grumbling. Jerry Bridges has a book called Respectable Sins, which talks about those sins that aren't really considered sin to the American Christian. We may call them problems. We may call them struggles. We may even call them our weaknesses, but we usually don't refer to them as sins. Grumbling is the type of sin that you don't mind confessing in front of a a public or in front of a group. No one wants to be the person who wants to admit that they struggle with lust in front of a a group of people. But it's a lot easier to say, yes, I really struggle with grumbling, right? Sort of like a job interview. When someone asks you, what is your weakness? And you say, honestly, I'm just really lazy. I'm probably the laziest person that ever walked the face of the earth. So if you hire me and I have to work eight hours straight, there's going to be many times I'm going to fall asleep on my shift. That's just the way it's going to be. Well, you know for sure that person isn't getting hired, right? But someone who's done a lot of interviews, who are pretty savvy with interviewing, they use this weakness question as an advantage. I never figured that out. I would go in there and confess all my sins and wonder why I'd never get hired. They may say things like this. I just really get consumed with my job. 
what, how I'm working. You know, I, I work so much that if you hire me, I'm going to take all my work home. You'll probably get an extra three or four hours a day out of me after eight hours of work. I'm just really a workaholic. Well, grumbling is sort of like that. It's, it's a sin that does not really seem like a, a real sin. For example, you go to your friend and, and he says, I've really been convicted lately. I've really been struggling. I haven't told anybody about my terrible sin problem. I've tried to deal with it on my own for years, but I haven't. So now I'm coming to you. Your friend is intimidated. He's like, oh no, what is he doing? What has he been doing for so long? And the friend starts thinking, man, maybe he's having an affair on a spouse. Or maybe he struggles with some sort of addiction that he's been dealing with all his life. Or maybe he starts really thinking outside the box and he thinks, man, my friend, he's a hit man. He probably kills people for a living. And then, finally, your friend confesses and says, I struggled for a long time with this horrible sin of grumbling. I mean, it just doesn't seem to have that same effect. It doesn't have that same gravity behind it. I live a lifestyle of grumbling versus I live a lifestyle of using foul language or I live a lifestyle of lying. It just doesn't seem the same. I wonder this morning, how many of us take the sin of grumbling Serious. I wonder how many of us grumble without even thinking about it. Almost like it's second nature to us. So the next question is, what does it actually look like to grumble? What does it look like in real time? And I thought it would just be fun for us just to grumble about the weather for a minute. It's just too hot. It's just too cold. I wish the sun would come out. I wish it would rain. It's just too sunny. It's just too cloudy, especially in the north right now where it's like that ugly grayish color that's for the next like six months, not to offend anybody, right? But I know that's sort of a shallow topic, but what ways do we grumble about real issues? Like maybe in our homes, like maybe in our marriages, Why do I have to remind you to take the trash out again this week? Dirty dishes go in the dishwasher. That's why it's called a dishwasher. I love you, but you are always wasting time watching Fox News. Or why won't you let me just lead? Or why won't you just love me the way I am? Or how many times am I going to have to tell you? Or your family is only going to stay for a few days, right? Or I'm not satisfied with our conversations. Or you talk too much or you don't talk enough. Or we're eating vegetarian chili again this week. Or we have to go out again. I mean, money doesn't just grow on trees. And the grumbling and complaining goes on and on. Usually, often, if we have children in the house, little ears listening. And the children just watch. And take it all in as mommy and daddy grumble about the weather. Grumble about how bad it is now. Grumble about what they have to do to get things done today. Grumble about being too busy. Grumble about being too tired. Grumble about the traffic. Grumble about their co-workers. Grumble about their outlaws. I mean their in-laws. Grumble, grumble, and more grumble. 
right? Do we take the sin of grumbling serious? This morning I will ask once again. But I must say, grumbling is much worse than just being a bad example to our children or being a bad example to our neighbor who doesn't believe in Christ. I want us to say that grumbling is a heart issue. It's our heart issue. But I want to pause just for one second and say that this sermon is not just for all of you because I know this sermon is really for me because I am an expert grumbler. Even when I'm not grumbling and murmuring out loud, often I'm doing it within my own heart. And it really doesn't matter about the situation. I can grumble when life is rough, but I can also be grumbling when life is running smoothly and everything is good. And I say this to my shame, but I will tell you as I've been working through this, God has revealed and convicted me about how sinful it is to be an expert grumbler. So I hope that as we go through this message, it will do the same for you as well. But this leads to point number two. A grumbler has a heart problem. Point number two says a grumbler has a heart problem. Grumbling doesn't just appear out of nowhere. Grumbling can't be blamed on circumstances or because we're having a bad day. Complaining is not an environment issue. It's not a problem outside of us. Nor is grumbling something we can blame on others. If the kids would just listen, or if my spouse would just stop being irresponsible, then I wouldn't have to be so negative and have to grumble and complain all the time. Grumbling is not another person issue. Grumbling is a heart problem, and it is our heart problem. Jesus says, The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good. And the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Matthew 6, 45. So Jesus is saying, what comes out of our mouths is what is already inside of us. When circumstances or situations arise and I end up murmuring and complaining, it is God graciously revealing what is still inside of me. The sin was lying dormant in my heart and that person mistreating me or the car driving too slow or the hurtful situation that I just dealt with allowed the ugliness of my own heart to come out. So we can't blame our spouse any longer or our children we have to recognize our complaining, our bad attitude comes from a heart problem. Let me ask us, if, we, if we've ever blamed others for our sin of grumbling, have we grumbled and then said, but if you would just do blank, then I wouldn't react this way. I'm afraid that we are often deceived by our own hearts. Jeremiah 17, 9 tells us the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can understand it? 
Jeremiah says that we can't trust even our own thinking at times because darkness still resides. It still lives within us, even as believers. Sin deceives, and the first person it deceives is me. The problem is when we are deceived, we don't know we're deceived. If we knew we were deceived, then we wouldn't be deceived anymore. Did you get that? The point is, you don't know when you're deceived. Similarly, a blind man can't tell when the sun rises or when the sun goes down. Deception is like being blind. We don't know. We can't see. I wonder how often we consider our own heart as the problem. I wonder how often we own the sin of grumbling this morning. Another important question is what does grumbling tell us about our view of God and our view of ourselves I mean what does grumbling say about how we see God and how we see ourselves which leads to point number three a grumbler has a wrong view of God and self a grumbler has a wrong view of God and self Jesus tells us He commands us to love God and love others the way we love ourselves. Biblical love is not referring to feelings or emotions, but the love Jesus is talking about is what we focus on, what we live for in our lives. So in other words, Jesus is saying the way you focus on yourself and often our own little family unit Have that same focus, that same devotion to God and others. That's what the Bible's saying when it's talking about love. Scripture teaches that we often worship the unholy trinity, me, myself, and I, by being very self-focused, very sensitive to what is happening in my own little world. That's why I get more excited when I'm going to win a cruise than when you tell me you want a cruise. Let me give an illustration to help us see why we often have wrong views of God and ourselves. I love to play games. I really do love competition. But I like games that take some real strategy. You have to really think. You you have to see what everyone else is doing around you. But I love to play games that make get cause us to have a lot of strategy but when you think about most games they're being filtered from your perspective what you have what you don't want what you don't have what you need to do what you shouldn't do and you're looking around thinking and you may be playing with six other people but it is as if everyone else is playing and is a part of your game your situation is at the center of your thinking What is happening with you is most important on the board game, obviously. We're playing with other people, but in reality, we're only focused on how we can win, how we can be the victor, how we can be the conqueror, how we can be the best Monopoly player ever to walk the face of the earth. Okay, that's a little extreme, but when the game isn't going my way, when others are beating me bad, like my wife, I start grumbling and complaining. I usually remind her, you know, you're really not being very Christian when we're playing this game right now. You know, 
I, if I, you know, I think you really need to practice biblical love and you need to lift up other people instead of yourself. You should let other people win. You need to show some grace. And if that doesn't work, then I say that we're going to have to just play again because this game is really just a practice. We're going to have to start again and play. Okay. I sound like I'm really a horrible sport and I'm a terrible game player, but I think I might have exaggerated my point a little bit just to show, you know, make this clear. <laughs> anyway, okay, okay. <laughs> I, okay, I'm not even going to go on. My point is, is that when the game is filtered through me, when I am at the center of the game, I grumble, I complain when it doesn't go my way, and I think life is similar to the game. Like the game, we often think we are at the center of our own world, as if we were the main actor of a play, and everyone else has supporting roles in my play. Our spouse, our friends, our children, our church, our, the strangers we run into, and yes, even Christ becomes part of our story, our own little world. Everything is here to enhance our life. Bring a little more color into my world. Everything is for my own entertainment and enjoyment. When we think this way, we create a God of our own making. Our view of Christ begins to shrink and our view of ourselves begins to grow and expand. Christ becomes another supporting actor in our play. He does have a slightly bigger role because he is God, but... Nonetheless, he is here to make our life all the sweeter. So we expect. So we want. And Jesus becomes our own personal cosmic Santa Claus and our own little personal genie. Jesus wants to give me the desires of my heart. Jesus is going to give me purpose. Jesus is going to fix my spouse. Jesus is going to give me that promotion at work. Jesus is going to transform my children into little angels. Jesus is going to make this happen for me and do that for me. Jesus is in the business of working life out for me, focused on me because life is all about me. And when it doesn't work to suit us, we often grumble and complain. Lord, why are you allowing this to happen to me? God, why aren't you making all my desires and dreams come true? God, why won't you change my spouse? God, why can't I get a better job? Lord, will you ever let us have children? Lord, why are you letting me stay sick? And naturally, we reversed the roles. We expect God to do our bidding instead of recognizing we're here to do His. Amen? The children's catechisms that I work with my children with, which catechisms are Christian catechisms, the one I'm just talking about. And catechism just means it's a time of instructing or teaching in a question and answer format. So one of the questions I ask my children is, why did God make you? And the answer, oh right, you got it. And the answer is, for his own glory. This world is about Christ, not us. We are here to live for God's glory. We are here to work for God's glory. We are here to suffer for God's glory. We are here to love, serve, discipline, eat, smile, breathe, all for the glory of God. 
2 Corinthians 5.9 says this, So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home, in the body, or away from it. Paul says, if I live, my goal, my purpose, my aim is to please and glorify God. And then if I'm away from the body, which he's talking about, if I die, I will live in all eternity with God. Christ, and obviously I will glorify him. Grumbling, church, is a problem that reveals our wrong views of God and self. We tend to lift up, focus on ourselves, and lower or shrink our view of Christ. When we grumble, we are saying that we are discontent in the place God has us. When we grumble, we are saying that we are dissatisfied with the blessings he has poured down on us. When we grumble, we are telling Christ that he is just not trustworthy enough. We need to help him out. When we grumble, we are saying that we know better than God about our specific situations. Ultimately, when we grumble, we are rebelling against God and going our own way. Are we starting to see the gravity, the seriousness of grumbling? So the next question is, what should we do about our grumbling disorder? What should we do about this problem, this sin that we're calling grumbling? Well, why doesn't everybody turn with me to Philippians 2, 14 and 15? Philippians 2, 14 and 15. Paul, talking to the church at Philippi, says this, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God, without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. So Paul's advice for grumblers is this. He says, stop grumbling. He just tells us plainly, just stop doing it. And if he says to stop doing it, guess what that means? We need to stop doing it, right? And if he tells us to stop doing it, he means we actually can stop doing it, right? The Holy Spirit lives in in us, right? If we're believers in Christ, if we know Jesus as Lord and Savior, he's working inside of us and we recognize that the flesh and the sinful nature aren't near as strong as the Holy Spirit living inside of us, amen? Amen? So whatever situation you are in, do not under any circumstance grumble is Paul's advice, his command, not advice, his command to us. Why in verse 15 he tells us, because you're called to be blameless and innocent children of God. So in other words, you're called to be faithful to God. You are now his property. You need to live like you are his. He is now your father. And realize that you are light in a dark world. When we grumble, we are acting just like the world. But when we stop grumbling, we shine like stars. We reflect our Father's holiness. It reminds me of a picture of a school of fish all swimming downstream. But there is one lone fish who is going the other way. He is going the opposite direction. He is going against the grain. He's going against the current. He's going upstream. That's what we're called to as believers. We don't just follow the way of the culture. We live different, not because we want to just 
be problematic or look unique or special. No, that's not why at all. We live different because we are called to magnify and live for Christ. Not because we're trying to be a better Christian, not because of whatever reason. It's because we're here to glorify God. You may be thinking, okay, that makes sense. We need to stop grumbling. But the question is, what should we do instead? You guys, that was a phenomenal question. I'm glad you asked that question because I think we need to answer that. The biblical word that we are talking about is repentance. Repentance. We stop doing something and start doing something else instead, right? God's word tells us in Ephesians 4, 22 and 24, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed of your minds and to put on your new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So we turn from our old self, which is grumbling, and we put on our new self, which glorifies God by living a life of gratitude, which leads to point number four. We turn from grumbling to gratitude. We turn from grumbling to gratitude. How can we as believers be grumblers anyway? I mean, it's an oxymoron. It's, it's contradiction to how we are as believers. We who were saved by grace are now called to live a life of grace. We deserve nothing from God. We actually deserved hell. And instead, God gave us all spiritual blessings, it tells us in Ephesians 1, and adopted us and made us children of God. Amen? And yet, we grumble. We complain. We forget. I think most of us struggle with amnesia, right? May we remind ourselves what Christ did for us on the cross. 1 Peter 2, 22 and through 24 says this. He, that is Christ, committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on a tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you are healed. Amen? Christ lived a perfect life. Christ died a brutal death for you and for me, for us. Gratitude is not just a good feeling that we have inside, but it's a decision, a focused decision to be obedient to Christ with a heart of thankfulness, regardless of the circumstances and situations that we are facing. Amen? Are we full of gratitude this morning? Do we recognize the grace that God has poured out on us as believers? Well, Paul had a close relationship to the church at Philippi, but he recognized that they struggled with this universal problem called grumbling. Why don't you turn a few pages over to Philippians 4, verse 6. Philippians 4, verse 6. Paul says this, 
And he's talking to the church at Philippi, talking to other believers. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. It is really interesting and ironic because a person who is anxious, who is full of worry, the last thing they usually think about is being thankful, right? They are focused or consumed on the problems that they have. And as they become more consumed with it, they become more inward focused. And the more that they become inward focused, the more they deal with things like extreme fear, depression, more worry, right? That's what happens. And Paul says to wrap up your prayer in thanksgiving. Praise the Lord and recognize all the blessings he's poured out on you even when you are facing trials and struggles of many kinds. Are we doing this? It leads to point number five. Our last point. A grateful heart is a thankful heart. Point number five says a grateful heart is a thankful heart. You may be sitting here this morning and thinking, I really struggle with being thankful, with having this gratitude that you're talking about. I naturally see a cup half empty, right? I can spot something I don't like a mile away, and yet when good things hit me in the face, I don't even realize it. I just sort of take them for granted. What should I do about that? Well, let me give you six truths to consider on the topic of grumbling. And these aren't in any particular or specific order, but you might want to jot these down. Number one, thank God for revealing your sin to you. Thank God for revealing your sin to you. I mean, many who are blind never see their problems. And God in his sovereignty has allowed you to see yourself a little clearer, to see that you're sort of an expert grumbler like me. And now you can actually do something about it. Praise God for that, right? Number two, remember that grumbling is first and foremost against God. Number two says, remember that grumbling is first and foremost against God. In Exodus, when the Israelites were grumbling about not having water or food, Moses wisely reminds them and says this to them in Exodus 16.8. You're grumbling talking about the people, your grumbling is not against us, talking about him and Aaron, the leaders. Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. So when we grumble about this and grumble about that and grumble about this, we may be looking at a person or a situation, but ultimately, we're grumbling to the Lord. Number three, think about the gospel, share the gospel with others. Number three says, think about the gospel and share the gospel with others. Remembering who we were and what Christ has done for us is amazing for us. And sharing the gospel is not just for us, though, because we're commanded to, by the way. But I think a secondary fruit is that it transforms us and how we view God and ourselves as well. Number four. Memorize scriptures that remind us to be grateful and thankful. Number four says to memorize scriptures that remind us to be grateful 
and thankful. You probably know which verse I'm going to say. A good one to start with, Philippians 4.8, right? Many of us probably have it memorized. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. When we are tempted to grumble, challenge your heart by verses like this that speak against grumbling. We could even write a list, an ongoing list, of all the ways God blesses us. Try to reach about 100 blessings. That would be a great thing to do to help us not be grumblers. Number five, praise God and build others up verbally. Praise God and build up others verbally. Talk to God. Thank Him. Praise Him for all the ways He's provided and blesses us. But also talk to others and encourage them. And let others know how they are a blessing to you. And use your words to say it. I think often we just don't tell people how thankful we are to have them in our lives. That God has brought them to us. We need to verbalize that, right? But number six is probably the most important thing to write down out of all these, this list of six that I'm giving you. Number six is most important that would be most ignored in most sermons. Number six, practicing gratitude is for God's glory, not your own. Number six says practicing gratitude is for God's glory, not your own. I'm not doing a therapy session up here where I'm going to make you a little better and feel a little better about your life. That's not the point. We seek to be thankful and grateful so we can shine the light of Christ, not so we can be happier or more fulfilled. We are here to magnify and glorify God. That's why we're created. In conclusion, in conclusion, I wonder how many, how thankful we are this morning. I wonder if we are counting our blessings, recognizing all the ways that God blesses us. What about in our families? How often do we verbalize our thankfulness towards our loved ones? Those that are in our homes every day. I wonder how often we share our thankfulness, our gratitude to Christ, to God. How often are we praising him in our prayers? Grumbling reveals that we have a high view of ourselves and a low view of Christ. I pray, church, that we repent of this wicked sin and live our lives, spend our every waking minute to live for the glory of God. May we be people that revel in gratitude for Christ. Let's go to our Lord in prayer. Holy Father, You are so good to us. And we are so just taking you for granted on so many moments of our lives as we focus on the the things that are going wrong in our lives and how we assume it shouldn't be that way. Help us to recognize you're much more sovereign than that and know that you're in the middle of the details of the struggles that we are in as believers. Help us to meditate just on your sovereignty. Help us to meditate on the fact that we struggle as believers and sin often blinds our eyes from seeing the truth. Help us to be diligent in walking in your grace, being in awe of what you have done for us, Father. We thank you for Christ. We thank you for all the ways that you have sacrificed everything, including your Son, 
for us. Help us to be full of gratitude instead of grumblers. In Christ's name, amen.